The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrister, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's adworks.com slash billrister. You know that old adage, if you do what you like, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, if you do what you like with people that you like and you trust, uh, the benefits of that are even more significant. You know, to build a team, there has to be someone who's making some of the decisions. But when a team feels like everybody's in it together, we all have each other's back. That when you get one of us, you get all of us. And people buy into that. Um, it's, it's a pretty special feeling. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Today, I'd like to welcome Anthony Malafronte, a Florida executive realty to the podcast. We share a mutual connection in Sean Carpenter, my co-host on the Staredown podcast. And Sean coordinated a meetup with Anthony at one of my favorite places to get to know someone, the golf course. So in my opinion, golf is a great way to get to know someone. And, and while we can't share all the stories from that day, I can tell you, Anthony uh, is a great guy. I'm really looking forward to it. And, and not to mention, he had two birdies and a chip and eagle that day. So I, I think he's sandbagging a little bit. We'll find out more about his golf game. But first, let's let's work on the real estate side of Anthony. Welcome to the podcast, Anthony. Thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you on here, most of all because we have a lot of mutual connections in the real estate space, which we're going to get to. But I always like to find out where our guests come from. And after talking to you for a few minutes on the course, I definitely could sense that um, you're not a native of Florida. <laughs> so I'm going to take a wild guess, and it had some sort of a Northeast flavor to it. So, so where do you hail from? We're originally from Connecticut, uh, the New Haven area. Born, raised, grew up there. Pretty much everyone that we... Uh, that we're related to is still there with the exception of us. Uh, I'm sure they visit every now and then. They visit quite a bit. And, uh, <laughs> my mom and dad are actually here now. They're, uh, they're here in Florida for the winter, which is nice to have them around. And uh, we get visitors uh, pretty regularly. Right. Let's talk about Connecticut for a second. I, I'm going to be like a, a Luddite here. Other than knowing that's where ESPN is, <laughs> what, 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 tell me some more about Connecticut. How would you describe Connecticut to somebody who just got dropped here on earth? What's it all about? You know, Connecticut is a typical New England, to be honest. It's, uh, it's beautiful for us. There's a lot of family there, but it's uh, proximal to, to New York City, which is, was real nice for us. We used to love going into the city, just get on the train and head in there. It's very small. Um, in some ways, I've heard it described as a place of the haves and the have-nots, but I don't—I didn't necessarily find it that way. Per capita income in, in Connecticut is pretty high, as many folks know, but uh, it was a, a great place to grow up. I was lucky to grow up in a place called Woodbridge, Connecticut, which is just north of New Haven. A beautiful little town, a bedroom community to New Haven and uh, to Yale University. It's a, it was a great place to, to be from. Uh, and again, all our family is still there. Nobody's moving. I know you're a big sports guy. When you're in Connecticut, is there a Boston-New York split? How does that work? Interesting. I've heard it described that, that the folks from Hartford and North are Boston fans and Hartford and South are New York fans. 
being from the south part of Connecticut, the New Haven shoreline area, I certainly knew many Red Sox fans. I don't know if there's a demarcation line, if you will, or a split uh, Boston to New York, but that's pretty much all you run into. If you run into someone who's rooting for anyone other than the Boston teams or the New York teams, they really stand out. Yeah, and uh, what a nice run in the uh, 2000s to be either a Giants fan or a Patriots fan. Holy cow. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> oh, one, of my, one of my best days is uh, the David Tyree catch. Um, I don't know if he's had a catch since, but I certainly got a lot of play out of the one he did make. You know, as a Giant fan, I, I won a lot of bets. Italian pastries from the Boston North End sent down. Um, all, all kinds of great things happened when David Tyree made that catch and the Giants won that Super Bowl. Oh, the best of which was that the Patriots went 18-1. and one. That was the best thing, right? Without question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right with you. <laughs> so, it was awesome. Yeah. I'm going to wager a guess. You grew up in Connecticut. You went to high school there. Uh, did you go to college in Connecticut as well? I did. I went to uh, Southern Connecticut State University right in New Haven. Okay. And so I'm just going to throw this out there. You probably had real estate nowhere on your radar. Am I right? Uh, and in high school and college? Yeah. Not even close. Right. No. So what what, what did you want to do you know, when you grew up back in that, those days? What was it going to be? We're a pretty tight family. Um, I had an aunt who was a teacher in the New Haven uh, school system. She was a, a juvenile diabetic, an amazing lady. She uh, lost her sight while she was teaching in the New Haven school system. And a couple of years of Braille uh, uh, training, she went back to, to teach sighted students in grammar school in the city of New Haven. She was, she, like I said, she was an amazing lady, and we, I was always very, very close to her. So I thought, I had a lot of teachers in my family. I'll go to school and become a teacher. And being a little naive, blind, I thought I was going to teach blind kids, to be honest. Uh, blind, special education, all kind of made sense to me. So I, uh, I went to Southern, played a little soccer, but more I went to be a special education teacher. Come to find out special education had little to do with teaching blind students. It had more to do with teaching folks uh, other disabilities. Uh, mm -hmm. And I loved that. Uh, ended up graduating with a degree in special education and psychology and spent the first seven, almost eight years of my professional life as a teacher for autistic and neurologically impaired kids. Where did you do that? Was that up in Connecticut? It was in Connecticut. Yeah, I, there was a place, a place called Benhaven where I had, uh, had done some preceptorships and had done, had done some uh, work while I was in college. Ben Haven is a school for autistic and neurologically impaired kids affiliated with Yale Child Study. And I ended up, when I graduated, they asked me to take a job as a residential uh, house parent. So I lived on a 36-acre French organic farm with, uh, at the time, when we first started, nine autistic kids and some of the, the best people I've ever had the opportunity to work with. It was a, a wonderful experience and uh, opened up my eyes to a lot. Corporate America comes calling, though. Is that right? It did. It did. Again, uh, maybe a little naive. I don't know. But uh, after seven years of working in private nonprofit education, which is what Ben Haven was, I met my wife, knew I had to make a little bit more money, and realized pretty quickly after eight years in private nonprofit 
to get into the public school system was going to be a bit of a challenge. I couldn't make the kind of money that I needed to. Um, my dad owned three independent pharmacies in Connecticut, and uh, a good buddy of his, who he grew up with, who was one of the drug reps that called on him and moved his way up to be the vice president of one of a, a large pharmaceutical company, always told me that if I learned how to tie a tie, shave, and get a haircut, I could sell anything. <laughs> and he offered me a job at a small little pharmaceutical company and uh, uh, based out of Marietta, Georgia. He was the vice president of sales, and that was uh, uh, the beginning of working my way through the corporate world. Uh, got back into school, got an MBA, and I worked in the, the pharmaceutical business, the, the healthcare business, for the better part of the next 20-something years, 22, 23 years. Now, were you able to stay based in New England for the most part? For the longest time, I was. Yeah, okay. I uh, the basic drug rep, uh, worked into the national accounts uh, arena, traveled a little bit more, but I was able to do that from, from Connecticut. The, the, one, the one company was sold. I went to work for another company, and... I was asked to move. Uh, I was asked to manage the uh, the district in the state of Florida for that second company. Uh, I thought it was going to be a short-term thing, and for the first year, I actually did it from Connecticut. I flew from Connecticut to a city in Florida every week, worked with the representatives that uh, uh, that were in that particular city. I'd fly into Tampa one week. I'd fly into Fort Lauderdale another, Jacksonville another, Orlando. Uh, and, and fly back home for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and get back on the plane again. When it came time to make a decision, we opted to move here thinking it would be a couple of years. And uh, when was that? That was in uh, 97. And you're still here? Yeah, we, we decided we're never going to leave. It was hard to leave, actually. Uh, we loved the, loved the weather, loved the people. Um, our little family unit, if you will, myself, my wife, and when we moved down here, two boys and a and a baby. The five of us, you know, we were we were thrown together without knowing anybody, and we had to figure out stuff on our own. And it was a, a it was a tremendous experience for all of us. Still had our family, obviously, in Connecticut. Heard from them all the time, visited back and forth. But the reality of us being here on our own was a was a great thing. It still is to this day. Was it a unanimous decision to stay in Florida? Like even at the, for your boys, I think you said they were pretty young at the time. But even they're like, yeah, Dad, let's stay here. Yeah, well, when we moved down, they were nine, yeah. seven, and and our youngest was uh, well. The, when we moved, he was a month old. Wow. Uh, when we made the decision to move, he was uh, he hadn't even been born yet. And, right. Um, right. Uh, I remember my middle son saying, um, "Now, if we move, we're all going to go together, right?" I said, "Yep." And he kind of looked at me, gave me the thumbs up, and says, "Well, if we're all going together. Let's just go." And uh, <laughs> when we when we got down here. And we had the family meeting about whether or not we were going to go back or whether we are going to stay here. Now, everybody had the same feeling that it was okay to stay here. The, you know, for us, the quality of life and the, the, the lifestyle was something that we liked. The, uh, the cost of living was pretty favorable. Um, and I remember moving down here thinking, I don't have to pay state income tax. So I, on top of the raise that they're giving me and the job that they're giving me, I made another 4.5% because I didn't have to pay the state of Connecticut. So it was, a, it was almost like stealing, it felt like. Right. You've been here 20 years, so your boys were raised here. Are they still in the area? What are they, are they, what are they all doing? 
we have a 28-year-old son who um, is a teacher at Jesuit High School here in Tampa, his alma mater. He's, uh, he's an English teacher there. Um, he's a Wake Forest graduate, spent uh, a couple of years in China, uh, got his master's at the University of Maryland, teaching at a Jesuit boarding school there while he was doing that. Uh, my middle son uh, is uh, 27, and he was actually in uh, he's a golfer. He's a, a PGA Class A professional, and he's just moved back within the last month. He's a, now the head pro at a very nice private golf course in uh, in Ocala. He started have, about a week ago. I have to interrupt you. Did you call him and tell him about the chip in Eagle the other day? You know, I told him, and he doesn't believe things unless he sees them. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> but, but, so we should have videotaped that one. But uh, Next time. Uh, yeah, as... As I know you know from having conversations with you on the golf course, uh, you know, playing, I, I couldn't have had more fun playing with you and Sean, and I love playing with the buddies that I play with on a regular basis, but getting out and playing with your son uh, is, that's the best round of golf and that I have on any given opportunity from the time he was 12 until today. Yeah, that's great. And you have one more boy, so what's he doing? The youngest one is, uh, he's 20, and he's a sophomore at the University of Florida. Wow, so they all they all went to different schools. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, interestingly, Colin is a, the true Floridian. Uh, he he, the youngest. He never really experienced a winter until we brought him back for the winter. Mm. Um, where the older boys, being seven and nine when they moved here, they remembered winter. They remembered Christmas with snow. Uh, for Colin, uh, Christmas with snow, I think would would put a it'd be a huge curveball. I don't think he could hit. <laughs> That's great. So you're down here and you, you're still with, um, you know, still in the industry that brought you here. Somehow there had to be something that pulls you into real estate. So how did that happen? You know, I had worked my way through the, the corporate world and I was, uh, uh, I was working for a Fortune 50 uh, biotech company selling billions of dollars. I had 180 some odd people who reported to me directly or indirectly. We were responsible for a fairly sizable sales organization, one quarter of the country, give or take, biotech injectable medications, high cost, very low incident type disease states. And almost all of the products that we sold were uh, needed to be administered by a nurse through an IV, a, a port, a cath, something. A lot of pressure, a lot of human resources type issues. There was a, a corporate merger. Our company was bought by a, a larger company. And while I had a job and they didn't want to see me leave. I saw the writing on the wall um, and I knew that there was someone in that other company who was willing to do my job for less than I was getting paid. Um, so I, uh, through my boss, who's still a mentor of mine to this day, was able to work out a package. And we had already been in Florida now going on 10, 12, 14, 14 years. And I knew how to find the airport the gas station, I could find Publix, I could find church, I could find soccer fields. And after that, I was pretty much lost. Uh, okay. um, so it, it seemed like the, the time to, to do something local. And I was always interested in real estate, never really had thought about it. I had a couple of friends who were doing it. I got my license thinking I was going to be a part-time investor and you know, buy and flip houses. Um, well, when I worked out this package, with the corporation that I was working for. I had six months of a severance and I figured I'd jump into it full time. And that's really how I got into real estate. Uh, 
truth be told, I wish I had done it 10 years sooner. Mm. I think that's a huge advantage having, we'll call it the backing to go full time right away. I think that's a problem for a lot of people that try to enter the industry kind of not prepared, I think, for uh, a few months without absolutely. any pay. <laughs> yeah, I would absolutely agree because, yeah. uh, you know, it's not the kind of job that you can walk into and, and cash a check the next week. You know, you got at least 30 days before you write your first contract to get it through closing. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and obviously in this market, maybe even a little bit more. So you're absolutely right. That was a, 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 a huge piece of uh, consolation to us that I had a little bit, you know, saved up so that we could continue to do the things that we needed to do while, while my business got off the ground. Now, you started uh, with Colwell Banker as a new agent. Um, how did you come to choose them? You know, I originally, for a very short period of time, worked for a small little boutique company that was run by a couple of friends of mine. Okay. Um, and I knew right away that that wasn't the thing I needed to do. My broker was a, com- was a competing broker. So every listing I was going after, she was going after. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't good. So uh, Colville Banker, I had friends who worked there. They were local, to be honest. They were very convenient. They had an office right in my community. I interviewed with a handful of brokers. And, you know, if I were to be 100% honest with you, I chose the one I chose because it was convenient to my house. Um, but Caldwell Bank, it really was. It yeah, was the that's... most convenient place. I was trying to establish, you know, my business in that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still live there, and uh, it made it, it made sense for me to be able to to work the hours that I wanted to work without having to spend a lot of time in the car. Caldwell Banker also offered uh, for a guy who was brand new to real estate the nuts and bolts, the basic training that that I needed because I didn't get that in, in, for the for the short period of time I was at that little boutique. What I got training-wise from Caldwell Banker uh, was a terrific foundation. Um, I also was working with a lot of seasoned agents who I could pick their brain and, and watch what they were doing. Um, so there was, uh, it was great. It was a great experience for me to be there. And uh, I, I'm glad I made the choice that I made. Now, as your, as your career progresses, you, you reach a point a lot of agents don't get to, and that is where you're, thinking about growing a team. And I want to talk about that, that making that decision, because I'm sure you were very comfortable where you were at, but it's, there's also this point where you get, there's so much going on and you're going to need help, you know, whether it's a, a full-time assistant or, or, you know, you decide you're going to need that buyer's agent. How did you talk? Can you talk about that process? And, and I'm sure there had to be a mistake or two along the way. If you share those, that's a real help for the audience. Oh, that was, uh, uh, you know, the, the simple answer again is the activity versus capacity equation, right? Uh, as I was doing the things I was doing, uh, my business continued to grow, but I was doing everything. The activity that I was, that I was putting forth was generating a, a fair amount of business, but I didn't have the capacity to deal with it all. So I was leaving deals on the table. Uh, the service that I uh, had prided myself on on providing my clients was watered down a little bit because you know, we're a we're a hard to scale business. There's only so many hours in the day. And there's only so many people that you can take care of and still do all the things that that I was comfortable doing. I had files for every one of my deals, and I was taking care of all the paperwork, and I was taking care of all of the scheduling of the inspections, and doing all the things that that we needed to do. And you know, if I learned one thing then that I try to remind myself of every day today is I had to hire out earlier than I did 
the things that either didn't produce revenue or I just wasn't good at. I thought I was good at them, but when I found someone who was really good at it, um, it, it there was like a, an aha moment, if you will, you know, that, that just the, the light went off. Like, why am I doing that? If I can hire someone else to do it, it gets done cheaper. It gets done more effectively. It, in fact, gets done better. Um, and, and I can spend the time doing the things that I have to do, which is you know, generating more business, looking for more opportunity, taking care of the people that, that have trusted me with either buying or selling a house. So it was, you know, that was a, a real eye-opener for me, that the capacity that I thought I had, I peaked out, and I needed to figure out a way to either cut back on the number of people that I could serve, and which would, in my instant, in my case, would have been turning down referrals from good friends and past clients, and I didn't want to do that. So beginning the, the growing a team seemed to make the most sense, and we've slowly grown that my Tampa agent team over time from uh, me and one person to where we are today. So what is the makeup of your team today? We have, uh, it's myself, the team leader, if you will, but I don't really, I, I'm fortunate that I don't have to look at it that way. I don't feel like I need to look at it. We all kind of lead each other. Uh, there's myself, seven other people in production. We have uh, an operations manager. We have a listing coordinator, a transaction manager, and we have a, a blog writer that we hired about a year ago uh, to help us with some of the content creation and, and blogging that we do. Um, the seven folks that are in production are at various levels. Uh, we're not a team that uh, I'm going to be the listing agent and everyone else is going to be buyer specialist. Uh, as we acquire the necessary and requisite skills and abilities, everybody kind of, can, they can do whatever they need to do, and we're all here to help one another. Um, so do I go on listing appointments with some of the newer uh, team members? I do. Do I uh, help folk who may need a little guidance or mentoring on the team uh, with regard to negotiating or just contractual things? I do. But we all take advantage of each other's experience, and that's turned out to be a good thing for everybody. Right. How do you, uh, how do you manage the workflow on the team? Are you, you got a tool, a lead generation tool or CRM that everybody's involved in? How do you run it all? No. Now we're we're very fortunate to be curator clients. Now Chris Smith and Jimmy Mackin have uh, uh, I've known I've known Chris for a good eight years. Uh, I've known Jimmy probably for four or five socially in the, the social media space, and for the last almost four years as a client. So we use the the curator platform. Uh, we have a client relation management program, Follow Up Boss, that is uh, intricately connected to all of our lead generation sources, and that, that really is the one tool that we use for, for, for the client relation management stuff. At the lead generation stuff, you know, we, we, we do it all, really. We do a little bit of farming. We do, uh, we're getting more and more involved in Facebook advertising and following the, that, that formula that, that Chris and Jimmy have put together that works with the systems that we have in place. So we, we generate bundle of leads from uh, from the, the the Facebook ads that we run, uh, we target them. We we're pretty scientific about how it is that we try to put them together, following what is a proven formula from other curator clients across the country. One of the best things about being a curator client for me is the access I have to other very very successful realtors, team leaders, and brokers who are uh, who all have the same goals as we do and are using the same systems. Um, so that, that, that access to those people and 
being able to pick their brain on how they get uh, closed captioning on a Facebook Live video. I mean, I'm probably not going to be able to figure that out on my own, but uh, I know three or four people uh, who are very good at those kinds of things. And there's a there's a camaraderie, a sharing of information amongst the curator clients that is that is terrific, and uh, we benefit from that a lot. I have the good fortune of knowing Chris as well from his Inman days, right? I was an ambassador at a few Connect events, and uh, Chris was at the time still working for Inman. Uh, and it was really he, uh, an interesting guy to sit down and chat with. Really, really smart. No sales like uh, maybe no one else I've ever talked to personally. And uh, he actually a, a guest on the podcast. I think I might have told you that on the course. So he's, he's got I, an episode. I remember hearing it. Yeah. Uh, I remember. In that uh, you know, I've heard Chris speak on, on, on multiple occasions, yeah. and you know his passion for what he does, his uh, as you said, his knowledge, and and the scientific nature with which he 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 breaks things apart. I mean, he he's tested and studied so much. You know, uh, one of the one of the challenges I had when I went from just me to me and a couple of people and me to where we are now was the technology. Uh, I remember many sleepless nights figuring why did I have this website that no one came to? Uh, you know, how do I create it differently? How do I create it better? When Chris started Curator, I knew that some of those sleepless nights were like, as soon as I signed on, I knew that some of those sleepless nights were going away. They provided for us a platform that I knew was going to get better over time, and it has. Um, the, 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 the technology is is important in our business, but it's it's they're still a belly-to-belly company, as they like to say, and and I believe that all good successful realtors, while they're using technology, still have to get out and talk to people and and and, and provide that quality customer service and that uh, that service model that people are looking for. Chris certainly gets that. I mean, his his writings, his his uh, his mentorship, his teachings have really been immensely influential in how we generate leads and how we go about scientifically converting those leads into clients. It's been an invaluable process for us and, and something I'm, I'm immensely grateful for, for all that Chris, Jimmy, and all the curator team do for us. Let's talk about your team again for a second. You you said something once again on the course. I'm going to keep going back to that. I think you agree with me, right? There's no better place to, to meet somebody and learn about them than on a golf course, right? I Without question. Yeah. Uh, it's the things you find out about people. Uh, you know, how, how they react to both the good, the bad, and the ugly. To me, always been fascinating about a golf court, about right. golf. But the other thing about golf that, you know, you have conversations along with 15 or 20 seconds of immense concentration on what you have to do. And after you do that, you're right back to having a conversation with somebody. And, uh, you know, that Craig Stadler principle of, it's, he called it the 20-second principle. 20 seconds after you hit your shot, whether it's good or bad, forget about it, because the only thing that matters is the next one. Right. Uh, right. And so you're able to focus on what you want to do, but you, you learn so much about people uh, and, and you get to have, you know, really meaningful uh, interactions uh, that if you're paying attention, they're going to benefit you for years to come. And some of my best clients right now, both men and women, are folks that I've, I've, I'm lucky enough to play golf with from time to time. And it's awesome. That's great. Uh, partners, the whole bit. So your team, you mentioned this, you said that, uh, you're not, you don't make the decisions. You're, it's not unilateral on your, with your operation, that it's a vote. Whether it it's is. a new agent coming on board or a new process you want to try, 
everyone's it's all in or we're not doing it. Is that right? It's it is. It's simple. Everyone in or, every, or we're out. If one person says no, the answer is no. And if we can't talk that person into uh, voting yes, the answer is no. And everybody knows that coming in. It, we've gone from one to ten, and uh, when we were at two, the third person joined because the two of us said yes. Uh, when we were at three, the fourth person joined because the three of us said yes. Any marketing that we do, any uh, uh, processes that we put in place, it's all it's an all-in or all-out kind of a thing. I started doing that. Uh, for a couple of different reasons, and uh, I think the, the the thing that kind of struck me is, and I think I said it a little while ago, you know, I wish I started doing this 10 years ago, uh, you know, that old adage, if you do what you like, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, if you do what you like with people that you like and you trust, uh, the benefits of that are even more significant. To build a team, there has to be someone who's making some of the decisions, but when a team feels like everybody's in it together, we all have each other's back, uh, that when you get one of us, you get all of us. And people buy into that. It's a pretty special feeling. Um, you know, being in the corporate world, I understood very clearly that there were three costs to personnel, uh, hiring them, train them, and if you had to, replacing them. And they were costly. I made a conscious decision, and actually it was myself, uh, Greg, and Scott, uh, the number one, two, and three, made a conscious decision that, that we wanted to spend our resources helping people and, and, and educating ourselves, making sure that we were trained the way we needed to be trained. And we didn't want to have to reinvent the wheel, if you will, and have to go through the cost of replacing someone. So we kind of came up with what we came up with. And you know, knock on wood, to this point in time, it has worked. I, went, I think I mentioned to you, I went against the edict Two times I, I decided to, to bring someone on early on uh, twice at the behest of two different brokers, one at Caldwell Banker and one here where we are at Florida Executive Realty, um, uh, out of really uh, respect for, for those two people that asked me to do it. This person would be really good on your team. The mentorship and guidance they would get would be great. And out of deference to both of those people, I said yes. Well, both times it bit me in the butt. It was not the right, they weren't the right fit for our team. In one instance, the, it ended up costing us more money than, than we needed. And in the other instance, uh, who that person portrayed himself to be, uh, in fact, wasn't a good match for our team. Uh, if I had opened it up to the full team, someone else would have seen that and would have pointed it out. Uh, I love walking into our office and seeing listing coordinator, operations manager, a couple of the agents all in here working together, hanging out, laughing, and having a good time. It's a great feeling uh, when you walk into a place and people do have each other's backs and are truly invested in, in, in making what it is that we're all trying to do better. So, yeah, we're all in or all out. That's awesome. I, I'm going to switch gears here with you. I'm, I'm kind of running up against the clock, but sure thing. it's been great talking to you. So, But I want to ask you about a charity. You mentioned that we were talking about this once again while we were playing. It's called Quantum Leap Farm. I'm guessing that your time at Benhaven and that the experience you had there has um, affected you for life and that you're always going to be somebody who wants to um, find a way to help. And the things you're doing and the things that Quantum Leap Farm are doing are very cool. So can you tell us about that um, that charity, what they're doing, and, and even how to reach out if someone wants to become a part of it or, or even donate? 
Yeah, well, thank thank you very much for 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 bringing that up. Uh, now, Quantum Leap is a very special place here in in Tampa. It's an uh, equine assisted therapy farm out in uh, Odessa, Florida. The mission of the place is really to, to empower people of all ages and abilities to grow as strong as they can to achieve whatever therapeutic goals that they may need to achieve and overcome challenges through equine-assisted therapies. It's a local therapy. Um, we're getting more of a national presence, but obviously the 16 therapy horses and the 600 volunteers and the 22 participants a day that we, we, we help are all right here local in Tampa. It's an amazing place. You, you saw me play golf. I don't believe in miracles, even though I chipped in for Eagle. Um, it's a place where, where miracles really do happen between the, the programs that they offer, that we offer, the therapeutic riding, the hippotherapy, and at ease program, which is equine-assisted self-exploration, um, the warrior mission at ease program, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, these are uh, military veterans, uh, service members, active duty and retired who come back from uh, combat with post-traumatic stress disorders, mild traumatic brain injuries, chronic injuries of various shapes and sizes. And it's a five-day program a high, using a highly effective therapies, including equine therapy, that really help these folks get, get back to, to, to a more normal, more normal life. There's accelerated uh, resolution therapy, neurofeedback. They use yoga. And one of the things that has really moved me um, through those five days of that military, those military retreats, is the storytelling that they, uh, a lot of these guys come back and gals actually come back with, with, uh, with stories that are, are, are unconscious, they're unthinkable. It's like, how can anyone live through that? But when they learn how to put those things in the right, put all those emotions in the right baskets, they, they tell very moving stories and, and they're stories that, that need to be told for their own benefit and certainly for ours. It's a wonderful place. Uh, quantumleapfarm.org is how you can get in touch with them. We treat uh, kids with cancer and their families. We teach, we treat uh, folks with uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, multiple sclerosis, cystic fibrosis, uh, a variety of challenged folks in, in a way that, that truly helps them. Uh, I was up there very recently. Uh, there's, a, there's a school for autistic kids. So I volunteer up there quite a bit. You know that old saying, the uh, outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man? Well, it's, it's true uh, uh, in, in many ways. Once a week for six weeks, the school for autistic kids came out. The beginning of the six weeks, all the kids were kind of afraid of the horses and didn't want to get on them, didn't want to get near them. By the end of it, uh, all six of them got up on the horse and rode. Uh, and the process that that they went through to become comfortable, to take on their fears and trust people. Uh, it was it was extraordinary to watch over over the six weeks that it that it took place. Those kinds of things are are important. Giving back to to our communities, you know, we're very fortunate. I'm very lucky to have three healthy kids, a healthy wife, and for the most part, relatively healthy uh, family members. Uh, and I live in a great place. So to be able to give back a little bit to our community. Uh, you know, is is important. You know, I've always challenged the people that I've worked with in the real estate business to to give back a little bit if if they can. And you know, we're I think Bill, you know this, uh, very fortunate that uh, many of our colleagues uh, do exactly that. They build communities one family at a time, and they give back, and that's that's a really special thing. Thanks for doing what you do there, Anthony. That's that's amazing. Um, 
I'm going to get you out of here. I'm going to, but my final question I've asked every guest on the shows next. And that is what is one piece of advice you have for an agent just getting started in the business today? <laughs> the simple answer is don't be afraid. Um, but the, the more, uh, if there's one piece of advice, it would be to know what your business, what you want your business to look like. Really know what you want it to look like. Uh, Know what your business model is going to be. Know what your service model is going to be. Know what your compensation is going to be. Uh, not everybody's designed or has the skill set to be a listing agent. Some people just are meant to be buyer specialists. Uh, not everybody's meant to run a team. Know what you want it to look like and then, and then work backwards from there. Educate yourself on the market dynamics, the market that you're working in. Know the contract. Uh, and I guess you know, that last piece is if your business model that you see uh, uh, is something that you're going to achieve. You have to know when you have to hire the right people. We talked a little bit about some of the mistakes. One of the mistakes that I made was not hiring an operations manager or an assistant sooner. You know, there comes a time when you have to make that decision to give up some of what you're doing to be able to do the things that you have to do. So if there was one piece of advice, really think about it and know what your business what you want your business to look like, and then put the pieces in place to make that happen. Work from the work from the hole back to the T, if you will. Nice, Anthony. If somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, Anthony at mytampaagent.com. We're on uh, all of the social media channels. Uh, uh, My Tampa Agent. We have a Instagram account. We have a Facebook account. We have. Uh, uh, Snapchat, which I'm still trying to figure out, but we have one of those. Um, nice. uh, Snapchat, that's one I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out, Bill. Maybe you can help me with that one. I, I, uh, I'll help you with that next time we play. Uh, we'll snap yeah. from the course, and hopefully I bring a better <laughs> game than last time. But uh, thank, well, Anthony, thank you so much for, for taking your time today and, and sharing your story uh, with us. Well, Bill, it's, it's a pleasure. Uh, thank you for... Uh, for, for inviting me and uh, I look forward to when our paths next cross on the golf course and uh, hopefully they'll, they'll cross soon and often.